Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. how we treat our relationship with Jesus and the Lord, that, that if everything's going good, then God must love me and I must be one of his favorites. But if things are going bad, then things, what, what's going on? And it kind of warps our view of our Savior. And man, I, I would just go back to our first week in this, is that Jesus never promised. It's not in the Bible. That, nowhere does it say that God won't give you more than you can handle, more than you can bear. He just said he'd be there with you in it. Um, but there's times in life where, man, the dreams get broken, where, where it's, it's, it's tough to go on, and it changes your view of everything. But, and you'll get to see this some next week. Before me, I'm not going to give the whole thing away. But what I do believe happens is that out of that brokenness and out of that darkness and out of that hurt, a dream can be birthed, that he can bring beauty from ashes and only the way that God can. That man, maybe your life ended, your relationship, excuse me, ended in divorce and you think that's it, that's over. I'll never find happiness. I'll never find a significant other. I believe we serve the God who brings beauty from ashes. Um, that that I, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's going on. But I do know this much is that this series and the word of God is resonating so much in people's lives um, that you don't want to miss next week. This week I want to talk to us about criticism. I want to talk to us about the, the chatter that happens all throughout our lives because um, so many of us, we want to go through life, but we don't want to be criticized through life. We want to make decisions, but we don't want our decisions to be criticized. Um, and if you say you never criticize anyone, just wait till football season. Um, there is moments that we are just going to have to deal with with criticism. And so as we get started, I, I want to give a really deep theological quote from a great theological source. It comes from John Butts, who goes to our church. It actually comes from his Dove chocolate wrapper. And it says this. It says, don't wait for sleep to start dreaming. Um, don't wait for sleep to start dreaming. I love that that came off a Dove chocolate wrapper. I was like, ooh, I can use that. So many of us, we think our dreams are just going to come true or that it, they're only going to happen when we're sleeping. But I believe, I truly do, with everything inside me, God has something bigger for you than that. And so how do you chase after your dream? How do you allow a dream to come alive, to be rebirthed, to chase after, to have the courage to go for it, right? Because some of us, we have a dream, but we're just not going for it yet. We haven't taken the first step. We're just waiting for everything to be perfect and for nobody to criticize. So how do you dream on? How do you go after it 
with the critics, with criticism, with dealing with criticism. Well, the first thing I would tell you is this today, is that you've got to be wise who you share the dream with. This is almost a warning. Um, Be really, really careful. Be really, really wise who you share your dream with, who you share the dream that God has put inside of your heart, inside of your soul. You're like, this is it. I'm not talking about the dream you dreamt last night about having 15 donuts and a snake wrapping you up. That's That's a whole different dream. I'm talking about the dream that God has put down deep inside of you. You've got to be extremely wise about who you share it with because here's the simple truth. Not everybody who you think is for you is really for you. Not not everybody who you think should be and will be excited for you will be excited and behind you and for you. And so our text this morning for for this point, we're going to see how far I get into my message, but the text... This morning is found in Genesis 37, verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to jump to verse 18 through 20. It's the story of Joseph. And so it says this, so Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks, and he worked for his half-brothers, the son of his father's wife, Bila and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. Let's, Let's stop just for a second here, just for a second. Now, I love the story of Joseph. I love Joseph. I like all that Joseph's about. But at this stage, at this point, let's just call it the way it is. Joseph is a weasel. He's tattling. He's not, he's not nine tattling on his older brothers. He's 17 years old going and telling dad what his older brothers, his half-brothers are doing. And they don't like it. And neither would you. And neither would I. You don't like brown nosers. You don't like tattletales. You know, if you were one of the kids that, that you weren't treated as good as your brother and sister, um, you, you have a hard time liking them. And so let's give Joseph's brothers a little bit of a break here because the Bible says, I mean, it's pretty bad when somebody else that's not even in the story, Moses wrote the book of, of Genesis, he knows that Joseph's is Jacob's favorite. That's bad when other people can be like, yeah, that's the favorite child of them. Um, that's where they at, they're at. So it says they couldn't say a kind word to him. So one night Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We're out in the field tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so what you're saying here, right? So what I'm hearing you say is you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you'll reign over us? And they hated him all the more. That's a lot of hate. Because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Verse 18, when Joseph's brother saw him coming, 
They recognized him in the distance, and they and as he approached, they made plans to kill him. You're like, that escalated quickly. Um, Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. Then we can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. See, there's going to be moments in life where you have this God-given dream. And it, it is from God, it's from the Lord, and you share it with somebody. You share it with family. You share it with friends. And they don't like it. And they don't like your dream. And all of a sudden, they don't like you. And they start criticizing you, and they start criticizing your dream. Hear me this morning as your pastor. I'm not, I'm not trying to keep you from achieving your I want your dreams to come true. But if that's going to happen, many people never started their dream because the curse of criticism killed it from inception. And some of us, we've let a dream die because somebody criticized it too early. We shared too early. Not everyone is going to be excited about your dream. If you need everyone to be as excited and as vested to your dream, it's never going to happen. And that's what happened with Joseph. Joseph told his his brothers, he even told his dad. And his dad's like, I'm not sure about that, Joe. You know, I'm not... (laughs) I'm not sure this is how it's going on. And can I tell you, when, when Casey and I had a dream to start Foundations Church 10 years ago, 10 years ago seems like a long time, but it's not a real long time. Um, 10 years ago, I was working at Starbucks right now. I was working at Starbucks at this very moment with a dream that we were going to start a church that September. I'm working at the Starbucks at 96 in Riverside, and people are like, so you are in your 30s, and you're just now deciding you want to be a barista, huh? Good life plan. Who's your life coach? Because I need to avoid them. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to be a barista. It's way bigger than that. I'm just being a barista because we're going to start a church in Tulsa. And like, oh, you're going to start another church in Tulsa. And I'm like, yeah. And, and here's what I hated. Nobody's like, nobody said this. Oh, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard to my face. They would be like, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> right? Oh, bless, bless your, what? I, I, I hated this. This happened to Casey all the time. Well, that... Isn't that a cute dream? Look at you. Ew. You know, just. And you're just like, ah, you know, no, it's not cute. Don't bless, don't, don't bless my heart. Don't bless my heart. Don't do that right. I know what you mean. Here's the deal. People, people would talk like, I can't believe they're doing that. They've got two kids. They don't, they're working at a Starbucks. They don't have a place. They don't have money. They don't have a plan. Great idea, Graves. Go for it. You know, no, 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 no. There was a lot of people that couldn't see it, that didn't believe it. And can I tell you, there's going to be a lot of people when you dream it that they just don't get it. And that's the moment are you doing your dream because others believe in it or, that, or because God has called you to it? Because there's a big difference. But here's my warning to us as well. 
is that we've got to make sure we're not just telling people our dreams who are going to be uber excited. You have those people. You can tell them, I just burnt my arm. Well, that's awesome. You're going to have the greatest scar in your life. You know, like, show it to me. They're going to have such a testimony, such a testimony coming out. No, no, I burnt my arm, jerk. It hurts. You know, you're like, stop praising God about this. It hurts. <laughs> you have those people that are going to get excited and fired up. when we, we, I'm going to burn my arm, too, and we'll be fire brothers. You know, like... Like, that's not okay. Like, that, that, no, that, you've got to tell people that aren't just about your feelings, but are about you. And I say this all the time. You've got to tell people who are more concerned about you than your feelings. Bible says this in Proverbs 15, 22, plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. Make sure you're bringing people into your life that will speak truth to your life. But to that, I want to speak to all you truth speakers for just a second. The question I have for you this morning is, are you a dream lover like Mariah Carey talks about? Dream lover, come rescue me. Take me up, take me down, take me anywhere you want to, baby. Now, I, you know, you, you know... Mariah, Mariah Carey's the old lady who can't sing now. You know who I'm talking about. Um, are you a dream lover or are you a dream hater? Because some of us, we say, oh, oh, I'm just speaking good, but you're not speaking good with goodness. And there's a big difference. I, I'm speaking truth, but you're not speaking truth in love. There's this attribute of the fruit of the Spirit called goodness. And it's not that you just want good for somebody, it's that you actually do good for someone. And so are you not just speaking good, but are you speaking good with goodness? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Proverbs 3, do not let kindness and truth leave you because they can leave really quick. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute, which is reputation in the sight of God. And man, don't let kindness and truth leave you. The only person that can bind them around your neck is you. Truth on its own is harsh and love on its own is really messy and weak. But when they're traveling companions, man, they have the ability to transform and bring inspiration and goodness to somebody's life. Make sure in the process of when people are speaking to you about their dreams, you don't become the dream killer. You don't become the dream hater because your mind can't wrap around it. But you are a dream lover and you speak life, even if it's correction, you speak truth with kindness and love inserted into it. The second thing I would tell you about this is as far as we know not to be very to be very careful with who we share our dream with. The second thing is this is that some of us we've got to stop caring about what everyone is saying. We've got to stop caring about what everyone is saying. But Justin, didn't you just say you got to listen? Yeah, 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 yeah. You need to listen to those who are for you, but the problem is we're listening to everyone who's around us. 
And some of us, we've got to stop caring about what everyone else is saying about us, our ability, our dream, how we're going about our dream. You've got to stop listening to what everyone else is saying. Our text, Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, talks about Nehemiah. We talked about Zechariah last week um, and how he was writing a book about Zerubbabel who came to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple after the Babylonian Empire tore it down. And Nehemiah is the guy who is there to build the walls after the Babylonian Empire tore it down. He's building the wall so that there's actually defenses for Jerusalem and they're able to defend themselves. And when we pick up into this part of the chapter and the story, Nehemiah is almost done. All that is missing are the gates of the wall. And man, there's, there's resistance that's coming his way. And verse one says this, Sambalt, Tobiah, and Gishem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. So Sambalt and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me, so I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? One of my all-time phrases in the Bible. Four times. They sent the same message. This is like when somebody's like, did you get my text? Did you get my text? Did you get my text? This is what's happening. And each time I gave the same reply, yes, yes, yes. The fifth time, Sambolt's servant came with an open letter in his hand. It just went to group text is what just happened, okay? Sambolt comes with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it said. There's a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Gisham tells me that it's true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel and that's why you're rebuilding the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there is a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. I replied, there is no truth in any part of your story you're making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with greater determination word. I love Nehemiah. Um, Nehemiah is my boy. And if I was going to phrase this in the Justin Graves version of the Bible, here's how I would reframe Nehemiah saying, I'm engaged in a great work. I can't come down. I got too much to do to listen to you. Man, I am too busy. I got too much on my plate. I am engaged in way bigger things uh, than to listen to you and your chatter and your criticism. Can I tell you there's always going to be critics and there's always going to be criticism. And criticism will do one of two things. It will either discourage you or it will drive you, but it's all about how you listen to it. Are you allowing criticism to discourage you or are you allowing it to drive you. I, I, I will Christianize this phrase. This is the Christian version. Man, if you tell me I can't do something, I'm like, hold my Kool-Aid, watch this. You know, this is, this is, I'm ready. I kill myself, but tell me I can't do something and I'm going to go attempt that very thing because it drives me to see what you say I'm not capable of to just show you you're wrong. You're wrong, loser. I got too much to do. 
to listen to you. Man, pastors that sometimes can be really mean. I'm glad none of you said amen about me just now. We're doing good. <laughs> can I tell you, after working for a little over 10 years in churches, we have several staff members, ex-staff members of churches that have just been wounded. And in the process of those 10 years, man, Casey and I got really wounded. My first pastor told me that I would never be able to make it in ministry if I couldn't make it at his church. My last pastor told me that, um, that we would be lucky if we started a church and if 150 people came to that church at max capacity. Can I tell you, I got all kinds of people telling me what I can't do. I've been there my whole life. Tell me that I can't do, but I've got too much to do to listen to your criticism. I'm engaged in too much of what God's calling me to do to engage in your criticism and to listen to you. And some of us, we are so consumed with keeping people liking us that we're not being obedient. If you want to be liked, if you want everybody to be happy with you, if you want everybody to follow you on Facebook and never criticize you and retweet you 5,000 times and like every picture you put on Instagram and never to criticize and never to call out and never to doubt and never to talk bad about you, you will never get anything done. You will live a very frustrating average, average life instead of a fulfilled, obedient life. Man, you've got way too much to do to live Listen to all of them. God's engaged you and has called you to something bigger than that. And can I tell you, just as in Nehemiah's case, if they can't intimidate you, they will talk about you. They'll talk about you. How do you handle it? Do you listen to the chatter or do you keep going on? On on Saturday nights when... We're at the house. I will be in the office kind of going over my sermon, kind of trying to make some last adjustments. And when my daughters are home and, and uh, they're there, their friends are there, just, just my family's there, um, they're really, really loud. They get that from their mom. And um, <laughs> that may be the only false thing I said today. Uh, but... Um, <laughs> They're really, really loud, and so usually I listen to, like, music on my, my Bluetooth speaker. I just play it, and I'm listening to it, um, whether that's a soundtrack, whether that's worship. I'm just trying to block the noise out, and used to, when they would make a lot of noise, I would just keep trying to turn this up, and what would happen is they would get a whole, whole lot louder, and my problem wasn't trying to turn up what I was trying to tune into. It was tuning out so that I could tune in, and can I tell you, a lot of us, we're trying to turn up the voice of God so that he's shouting to us because there's so much noise around us. You're just like, God, can you speak to me? God, can you speak to me? But what you've got to do is what I do. I have some noise-reducing headphones, and I put these things on because now I can't hear anybody else. Now I'm just tuning in to what I need to hear. God very rarely shouts at you, but most of the time he whispers. And you can't hear the voice of God if you're just trying to get him to yell louder. If you're going to be a man after God's own heart, his voice has to be louder than all the other noise. And the only way his voice is louder is if you say, man, I ain't got time to listen to you. I've got way too much to do. God has engaged me in way too much than to listen to you. I love this quote by Theodore Roosevelt. He says this, it's not the critic who counts. 
Some of you, you just need to repeat that to yourself over and over. It's not the critic who counts. It's not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of a high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Can I tell you, the critic doesn't matter. You've got too much to do to listen to them, to to you. I, I got way too much to do to listen to you and what you are criticizing me and telling me. Man, some of you, you guys have just put your dream on hold and pause because you're not sure because you've had critic after critic. Man, run after what God has called you to engage in. Stop waiting for everybody to approve it. And man, realize, man, if God is for me, then who can be against me? I'm going after this because I got way too much to do. In Matthew chapter 6, it talks about the Garden of Gethsemane. And in this part, Jesus takes his disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray with him before he knows what's coming. The guards are coming. He's getting ready to get arrested and go to the place of Golgotha and get, and get, the, 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 get whipped, get beat. All the crucifixion, all that is coming his way. And the Garden of Gethsemane is actually an olive orchard. And Gethsemane literally means place of pressing. Place of pressing. Now to make olive oil, the olive goes in one way but comes out a completely different way. After the pressing and the crushing has been done to the olive, then the olive has been turned into olive oil, which if you know anything about olive oil, it's energy. It is, it's, it's way more useful. They can use it for cooking. They can use it for, for medical uses at that time. It was way more useful, way more valuable, but it had to go through the crushing and the pressing of, of Gethsemane, of the olive orchard, in order to produce the olive oil. And when Jesus went, it goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, man, he's got his disciples, his favorite disciples with him. Him, and they're praying with him and what happens all of them abandon him one of them d- denies knowing him and one of his disciples Judas comes into the very place the garden of Gethsemane and he comes to this place and Jesus comes to the place where the way he came in is totally different than the way that he's going out I may have needed people with me I may have needed people behind me but I'm good on my own because I prayed not my will but your will be done I understand what God is calling me to and I've got a job and a dream to go and do it. And he comes to this place and Judas comes up and he says to Judas, whatever you're gonna do, Judas, do it quickly. The only way you can talk to your Judases, your critics, and say whatever you're gonna do, do it quickly, is to understand that the Judases cannot determine your destiny. They cannot affect the dream that God has put inside of you. Let them chatter, let them yell, let them criticize, let them do the rumors, but man, you do not have time for them. You are called to run, and when you understand it, you can repeat the words of Job 42.1 that says, I am convinced you can do anything and everything, nothing, and no one can upset your plans that you have for me. That's what God has in store for you, but you got to go through the crushing. 
You got to go through the pressing so that you can come out different. The last thing I would tell you this morning is this. Just because others left you out doesn't mean you are out. Just because others left you out doesn't mean you are out. Sometimes I think this is the most hard and harshest critic that we deal with. We don't get considered for that job. People around us don't consider that we're even talented enough to be capable of this or that. And just because others have counted you out doesn't mean that you actually are out. Scripture, 1 Samuel 16, verse 4 through 11 says, Samuel did what God told him when he arrived at Bethlehem. The town fathers greeted him, but apprehensively, there is something wrong. We're picking up where we left off last week. Uh, Samuel is no longer concerned about Saul. Saul is no longer the, the king that God wants, and God is looking for a new king, and Samuel is coming to find the new king. And he says, nothing's wrong. I've come to sacrifice this heifer and lead you in the worship of God. Prepare yourselves. Be consecrated and join me in worship. He made sure Jesse and his sons were also consecrated and called to worship. And when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Elib and thought, here he is. God's anointed. But God told Samuel, looks aren't everything. Don't be impressed with his looks and stature. I've already eliminated him. God judges persons differently than humans do. Men and women look at the face, but God looks into the heart. Jesse then called Abinadab and presented him to Samuel. And Samuel said, this man isn't God's choice either. Next, Jesse presented Sham. That's what I call him. Um, And Samuel said, no, this man isn't either. And Jesse presented his seven sons to Samuel. Samuel was blunt with Jesse. God hasn't chosen any of these. Then he asked Jesse, is this it? Are there no more sons? Well, yes, there's the runt. But he's out tending the sheep. David didn't even get considered as one of the sons. He's considered just another hired hand. And when his father does talk about him, he didn't say, oh, there's my youngest son. No, he said, there's the runt. There's the scrub. There's the one, but (laughs) there's no reason to even bring him in. Samuel said, order Jesse, go get him. We're not moving from this spot until he's here. And Jesse sent for him. He was brought in the very picture of health, bright-eyed and good-looking. I think that's talking about, um, anyways. God said, up on your feet, anoint him. This is the one. And Samuel took his flask of oil and anointed him with his brother standing around watching. The Spirit of God entered David like a rush of wind, God vitally empowering him for the rest of his life. I love this story. I love this translation of the message translation because when everybody else said, not him, God says, this is the one. When everyone else said, oh, it can't be him, there was critics, there was doubters, he didn't even got called in. God held the whole procession, stopped everything from happening and said, okay, I want that one because that's the one. David was the ultimate underdog. He didn't even get considered. I don't know if you've been an underdog in your life, but I've been there almost my whole life. Um, When I tried out for the seventh and eighth grade basketball team, I didn't make it. When I tried out for the ninth grade basketball team, I finally made it, but I sat on the bench the whole time. They only put me in if there was like a 30 point lead. Um, But something happened between my freshman and my sophomore year. Um, I got contacts. 
I got my braces off, and I had the opposite effect of Samson. When I cut my mullet, I got stronger. Um, there was... <laughs> There was strength that entered my body when I cut my golden locks. And um, man, I, I excelled when I went to high school, Putnam City North High School, 6A High School in Oklahoma City. Come on, Panthers. Um, won the state championship this year. And my sophomore year, I went from my freshman year not hardly even playing. And my sophomore year, I made the varsity team. I became the captain of the junior varsity team, which meant something very important. I got to pick my teammates when we scrimmaged. And when I got to pick my teammates, I didn't pick all the starters. I picked all the underdogs. I said, oh, no, no, no. I want him. I want him. I want him. And I want him. Those are my dogs right now. Come on. We're going to go do this. And here's why I wanted them. Because I understood what it meant to be an underdog. And when you're an underdog, you got to fight to get your food. You got to fight to thrive. You got to fight to stay alive. You're hungry. You're doing it, man. And can I tell you, my, when I grew up, there was a cartoon, my favorite cartoon called Underdog. Never Fear Underdog is here. Some of you remember, right? Never Fear Underdog is here. Can I tell you, I believe we served the God of the underdog. And he looked at David, and David didn't even get called in, but he said, never fear, the God of the underdog is here. And that's the one. He looked at Gideon, and Gideon gets called, you are a mighty man of valor, a warrior. Gideon's like, what are you talking about? God saw in Gideon what Gideon couldn't see in himself, and he said, don't fear, stop fretting, stop doubting, the God of the underdog is here. Moses was there, he disqualified himself, tried to get out of it eight separate times. I stumbled I stutter. I don't have any qualifications. And he said, I don't care about that. Don't fear. Don't fret. The God of the underdog is here. He looked at his disciples who were untrained, uneducated, a total mess. And he said, those are my dogs right there. Don't fear. The God of the underdog is here. This is the one. And he's looking at your situation. He's looking at your dream. And you don't have finances. You don't have people. You don't have a five-year business plan. All you got is a dream. Hear me this morning. You got too much to do to listen to them, to listen to them. You may have been counted out, but God's saying, that is the one, that's the one, I am the God of the underdog. And I love how it ended. It says this, verse 13, Samuel took his flask of oil and anointed him with his brother standing around watching. You can either stand around watching the rest of your life, or you can get busy having anointing on your life. You only get the anointing when you step into the role that God's called you. Otherwise, you're just going to stand around watching everybody else operate in their anointing. He anointed David with his brother standing around watching. And I love this. The Spirit of God entered David like a rush of wind. God vitally empowering him for the rest of his life. It wasn't... A continual thing that he had, it was a one-time moment that empowered David for the rest of his life. And I believe God has that for you today. Some of you, we talked last week about you're in the middle. You're in the meantime moment of the inception of the dream and the fulfillment of the dream. And it's hard and it's difficult and you don't know how to get there. Can I tell you, you can't do it on your own. It's not about you being talented enough. It's like the prophet said, it's not by my might, it's not by my power, but it's by the Spirit says the Lord. You need an anointing on your life. And this morning, I believe God wants to empower you and give you an anointing 
that empowers you to run on and dream on for the rest of your life. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. And God, I ask this morning that you would speak to our hearts, to our lives, because the truth is most of us listen to the critics more than we listen to you. God, it's easy to get caught up in criticism instead of being obedient to your voice. And Lord, I I ask in this place this morning, there would be an anointing and an empowerment in this place that changes people's lives. David was never the same after that moment. Lord, he was counted out. He was the underdog. But Lord, when you empowered him, he was able to step in and to run after like Nehemiah. He was involved in a great work. I don't have time to listen to all the critics because I'm busy fulfilling the purpose and will of God in my life. It may be hard. I may be in my Gethsemane moment, but Lord, when I come out, when the crushing and the pressing is done, I come out usable and full of energy and full of power and full of anointing. God, I pray in this place. Man, I pray in this place, God. Lord, there would be an empowerment and an anointing on people's lives that empower them for the rest of their life. That you would do something new and lasting in this place. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, if you're here, say, Justin, I'm here and I don't know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. We want to give you that chance. If you're here this morning, you say, Justin, I'm... I'm not where I need to be in my relationship with Christ. We want to give you that chance. And so when I count to three, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand, and we're going to lead you in a prayer that will change your life. We believe God sees a hand and he changes a heart. And if that's you, your change, your first step to you becoming and stepping into your destiny is this moment right here. I don't care what your past is. I don't care how much you've blown it. I don't care how long you've run. All I know is that God has a purpose and a destiny for your life. And it's not based on all that you've done. You can't disqualify yourself for it. Just take the first step this morning. If that's you, I just invite you. Raise your hand when I get to three. One, two, three. Is there anyone here in this place? You say, Justin, that's me. There's one hand. There's two hands. There's three hands. There's four. Is there anyone else? You join these four hands that are lifted across this place before we go any further. There's five. Is there anyone else? You say, Justin, that's me today, and I want to join these five hands that are lifted in this place before we go any further. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is there anyone else? If you raise your hand, if you please repeat this prayer after me and mean it from your heart. Jesus, I come before you today, and I confess that I've sinned, that I've messed up, but I ask for your forgiveness. God, I ask that your grace and love would enter my life. Lord, I'm turning away from the life that I was living to grab hold of the life you have for me. I confess you, Jesus Christ, to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm going to live for you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can we give these five individuals a raise their hand? Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions or in need of prayer or would like to join a connect group, feel free to email me at Nicole at foundationschurch.tv.
We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.